is Hebrew Hits, presented by JTribeRadio.com. I'm your host, Malia, and I sit down with people who live by the motto, it's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and I am so excited to have you here with me on the show today. Today is a very special day because it is the 26th episode of Hebrew Hits. On today's show, I will be interviewing an owner of a rehab for drugs and alcohol. This interview is really just real and raw, unedited, uncut, straight from the guy's heart. His name is Eric. And he is going to tell you the pathway to recovery. Before we get to the show, I just want to ask you if you could please like and subscribe to Hebrew Hits on all your favorite streaming apps. You can follow us on Instagram at Hebrew underscore hits. And if you have not yet left a rating, go do so. And if you leave a good rating, I will definitely be giving you a shout out. I am also really excited for this interview because not only do I have Eric on the show, but I am spotlighting Ellie Levin's music. On this show, I am going to be playing four of his songs. Right now, I am going to be playing a cover that he did called Liv Nachon right here on jtriberadio.com. Oh, 
That was L11, Liv Charnachon, right here on Hebrew Hits. You're listening to the voice of J-Tribe Radio. My name is Malia, and right now I have got Eric calling in all the way from Israel. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the show, Eric. He is the founder of The AZ House. How are you doing today? I'm doing really great. Thank you, Malia, for uh, asking me to do this interview. I'm super excited. So you're the founder of the AZ House. What exactly is the AZ House? So the AZ House is a treatment center for drug and alcohol addiction that specifically caters to the, I would say, the, the Jewish community, specifically Orthodox. We can take, we, we have, we've had guys from Satmir, you know, that's our, we, we have guys from all um like every demographic uh, within the Jewish community. Um, but I think the thing that separates us from the rest of them is we're the only free kosher Shomer Shabbos place that I'm aware of, I would say, in the world. In 2016, me and two other gentlemen came together and, um, and put it into action. And how many people generally do you have in this AZ house? We have, a, we have a advertised capacity for 15 people, but I can squeeze more in, especially in peak season. So tell me, why would someone generally turn to drugs or alcohol? Broad question. There's a lot of different reasons that people stumble upon the drugs and alcohol the first time. It's a separate conversation whether or not they're going to get it, be addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, normal people will utilize drugs and alcohol for an immediate solution, an immediate emotional solution. Mm-hmm. And it's not such a crazy idea. Someone going, through, someone who's grieving may drink a little bit more for a short period of time. That doesn't make them an alcoholic. It's it, it really can numb the pain for a second. And if you do not have or develop a physical craving and a physical dependency, you know who's to say if that's really the worst thing to do with drugs and alcohol. The question is, and, and why people become addicted to it, you know, that's up, up for debate. But the, the real question is, is when someone drinks or when someone uses drugs and alcohol, can they stop? Do they lose control? How that happens to people, it, it's, it, I think it's all theory. There's a lot of different, you know, proven analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on paper, it makes sense. But drug and alcohol addiction, it affects everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, your, your age, your race, your religion, what part of the world you're in, or what time period you are from. 2,000 years ago, people were drunk just like they are today. Right. Turning to drugs and alcohol, I think, like, the way I describe it is especially with the people that find it young, there's this perfect storm scenario where we hear that drugs are bad our whole life. We, we, we do see adults drinking. And uh, one of the stories that I hear described a lot is someone hits some low point or if they're in the situation where it's available, they try it and they go, ah, this is the solution that I've been looking for. Sometimes it comes from people's uh, maladjustment to life. They, they grow up feeling different or misunderstood. A, a variety of different experiences. Like a, a, lot of, a lot of people that suffer from drug and alcohol addiction, I would, I would say more than not start relatively, relatively young. It's tough. You, you find everything. You find everything. It's too broad. It's too broad of a question because every every situation does exist. Uh, right, for sure. But I just I was curious to hear from your point of view since you founded it. Why did you feel it was important to found this AZ house? So I'll tell you about myself. I myself am, re- am, am in recovery. I got clean in 2012, May 21st, and I went to a free treatment center in Cleveland. I had been to. We'll just round it round it off to about ten different treatment centers, all of which costs a lot, cost a lot of money, and made promises based based on the cost that they have a high success rate or that they are the right solution, or the the worst the worst one and the worst ones and most expensive ones make claims like if you don't send your son here, 
they'll probably die. The place that I ended up in, in 2012, was a free place, pretty close to my home. And the long story short is I went there, I listened, and it saved my life. Wow. So I moved to Israel in 2016, and I start working in the treatment center. And I hear the cost, and I was happy to be in Israel, and I'm very new to the Jewish world at the time. And I start asking around and getting my feet wet in the industry. And I realize there are very few places for Jewish people to go and even fewer places for religious Jewish people to go. And all of them are extremely expensive and they don't seem to have a high success rate if they have one to talk about at all. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was shocked. I had this very like naive, every Jew is good. And the more religious that you are, the higher up on the, on the goodness spectrum you must be. And I grew up with this. I remember like the first time I saw someone smoking a cigarette, wearing a kippah, I was like heartbroken. Not here. It was when I was younger. Yeah. And I kind of had this sentiment always in my heart. And when I moved here, I went through like this, like, this like terror, this pain, seeing what was available and how, like, I was like, I know what works and I know what works better than the rest. I would figure the Jewish people had this already. And to my surprise, they, they almost have the opposite where hundreds of thousands of dollars are getting thrown into the garbage People are not getting sober. People are not staying sober, like one out of 70. And and how can this be? And how are these places so expensive? And how are these places so expensive? And why is it like that? And just on and on and on and on. And I was in shock. I'd love to open up this model and and have kosher food and be Shomer Shabbos and kind of cut out the walls that would have stopped a lot of the Jewish people from going to the place that I went to, because the place that I went to, it wasn't kosher. It wasn't Shomer Shabbos. I was one of the few Jews. I come from a secular background. So, so I, you know, I, I fit in just fine. Um, they, they were not religious at all. Like they didn't even talk religion. You know, that it was, it was against the rules to proselytize any kind of religion in these places. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm very happy that we're sitting down and having this talk because this topic in the Jewish religious world, especially, there's a very big stigma with drugs and alcohol. People don't want to talk about it. And they, and I'm, I'm very happy we're sitting down because we could break down barriers. We could say, let's talk about this. It is a, it, it, there is a problem in the Jewish world. If people need to get help, let them get help. I actually heard a story there was a mother and she was a drug, she was on drugs. She was, you know, and, and she was an alcoholic. And she said, because of Shaduchim, if I go get help, if I go to a rehab, no one's going to get married. She said, I'd rather die. She said, I'd rather die than go to a rehab. That was so shocking to me. So I'm, that's why I'm like so happy that we could talk about it and break down barriers about really what is this whole stigma about. And, and you're the founder. So I'm so fortunate to be sitting down with you because you really know exactly everything about this topic. So let me ask you a question. Is it hard for someone to stay sober, to remain sober? Not if they change, not if they do what they have to do. I think if you do what you have to do, it causes a ripple effect. Your life gets better. 99% of the time, it gets better than it ever did. And so now you're living in this new, awesome life. And you have that to compare to your old life. Thank you, Eric. We are going to take a short break and I'm going to play you one of Ellie Levin's songs. Now, this song has some background to it, which I'd like you to hear the story. When Ellie Levin went to Poland, he went with the group to Majdanek concentration camp and he saw barracks and there were so many shoes, shoes of all sizes, all colors, all shapes. There was one shoe that stood out to him. Now, you may ask, what was so interesting about this shoe. Why specifically this shoe was Ellie so drawn to? Well, this shoe was the same size shoe that would have fit his daughter 
and his daughter was around age three at the time. This really hit home for Ellie. Ellie Levin decided, I have to leave the barracks and I have to take out my guitar. He took out his phone. He recorded this tune and this is his song, Lord Hear My Prayer by Ellie Levin, right here on jtriberadio.com.
that was Ellie Levin's song, Lord Hear My Prayer, right here on Hebrew Hits. And we're back with some more Eric Levitz. Do you want hell on earth or do you want heaven on earth? Now, the fine print in that is that gratitude is a huge thing that keeps us sober. It's also a thing, lack of gratitude, that takes us out. And with a lack of gratitude, you can very, very easily start looking at your heaven on earth just through these strange tinted glasses of lack of gratitude. Your heaven on earth can appear like hell on earth. And then you have no reason to not use again. So why is your program, the easy house so successful? It's a free program, which means that the residents that come are not paying our salaries, and are in a position of gratitude right when they walk through the door and a position of trust. They're looking at the staff and they know that we're not getting anything from their presence, monetarily speaking. So we, we break down that. That wall is broken down pretty, pretty quickly, like pretty much upon entry. And all the help they're receiving, they know is coming from people just wanting them to get better. The second thing is, is that our program is extremely practical, meaning everything that we do here and everything that we learn here are our tools and lessons and perspectives that we can take with us. None of it is, oh, well, in treatment, but in real life. That, that's not a sentence. Everything that we do here directly applies to your relationships, your work life, your spiritual life, your relationship with, uh, with, with society and, and community. There's, there's nothing um, fabricated uh, or fake about, about what we're doing. The third, the third thing is, is that we don't have any ulterior motive. I'm not trying to make them religious. I'm not making them fulfill my dreams or my goals or because they're not paying we also don't picture to their families if the kid comes and doesn't want to be religious he does not need his financial support we will walk him through you know out of the phases of our program he will be financially stable and he can go and live his life the way he wants to which a lot of people start drinking in the first place because you know because of this their families want them to you know want them to be something that either they aren't or don't want to be either either way you know there's a there's a there's a question there's a question is just because we think we understand god's will doesn't mean that we understand god's plan Basically, what I was saying was that we are here to help our residents solve the alcohol and drug problem so that they can, they can then go out and live their lives. They're, they're, they're here. We want to see them fulfill their dreams, not their parents' dreams, not our dreams. And we fight for their right to be able to do this. I am not trying to impress the families or the community. They are not here to do my fundraising. They are not here to pay our salaries. They are not here to promote our house. They are here to get better and then live their lives. And that's what I want to see. You have so much passion for this. Do you think you're super successful in what you do because you were, you're also in recovery because you've been through all of those rehabs and you know what, what works and what doesn't work? Maybe, but I, my recovery is like... It's its own thing. Like, I, I have my program, and then this is, this is my vocation. You know, a lot of people say, oh, wow, this thing really helps you with your recovery. You get to help people that were like you. You know, wow, this probably helps keep you sober. And I'm like, no, I have my own program. I do this because there's nothing that I would rather be doing. It's not for personal gain. You're incredible. You're incredible. Your life mission is to help people. That, yeah, I love, I, that's what I love to do. I love to work with guys. I feel like I understand their situation and that we come from an angle that's, that's free of motive. No conflict of interest. We've, we've completely removed it. That has a huge amount to, to do with our success. 
Yeah, it definitely seems like that. When we were prepping the interview, I know your assistant was telling me about being humble. And humble is very, being, is very important in the recovery process. But why is it very important is my question. Humility? Yeah. Because we're, we're okay, it's, two th- it's 2020. The world's been around for a little while. I am not the first person to arrive here, okay? There's also a whole lot of other people as big or as small as me, however you want to put it, that also occupy this planet. Mm-hmm. And to be, to claim to be bigger than I am in any way is a lie. It's dishonest. To be grand is dishonest. So humility and honesty or humility and truth are synonymous. So why so, is it important in the recovery process? Because being dishonest is a sure way to drink again, is the greatest people or all of our role models. Mm-hmm. I, I think like my role models, none of them are grand. They are all very humble people. Recovery is about relationships and no one wants to hang around with some egomaniac. They're just unattractive. They push people away. And for the alcoholic on, on, on top of being dishonest, It'll leave you alone. And if you're alone, you might as well drink. What are the ages of the people that come to the AZ house? Our youngest has been 18 and our oldest has been in his mid-60s. Wow. And the, the man that's in his mid-60s, was it that he was an alcoholic his whole life or just at, like in the past few years he became alcoholic? I'm just curious. He had been drinking on and off his whole life. Wow. We, we've had, thank you. We've had a lot of guys, we've had a lot of guys that are relatively young, you know, 18, 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21, 22. We have a lot of guys that are in their mid twenties. We've had a lot of guys that are in their early thirties. We've had quite a few that were in their early forties. We had a few that were, in their late 40s. We've had, we usually have a pretty solid variety of age groups all at the same time during uh, any of our past seasons, we like to call them. AZ House season one, AZ House season two. On this episode, we we joke about it because we're very like, it's very much like a, not like a fraternity, but like a a family. Mm -hmm. And the way that the way that our residency kind of has seemed to flow over the last few years is we get these influxes of, of classes or seasons all at once. So right now we're pro- approaching the middle of the summer, which means that um, a few new guys are trickling in and, mm-hmm. and the older guys are completing their eight month stay. By December, we'll have about eight, seven, eight guys, maybe, maybe more dependent, but, but by, by February, March, we'll be packed to the gills. We'll be at 15, 16, 17 guys, and it'll stay there. Some will, some will leave prematurely. Some will not, not usually, we usually have one or two that do. We have a pretty high retention rate of people Mm -hmm. completing our program. Like in the last, we've had in our last 17 guys that have, Come five have graduated, two left, pre- two left prematurely, mm-hmm. um, two left prematurely. Five have moved out. The rest are finishing up their stay here. And of the two that left prematurely, they drank. And of the rest that didn't leave prematurely and left on good terms, they didn't drink. And of the guys that are in the house, obviously they are still sober. Wow, in the house. Are they allowed to have any alcohol or it's totally like no alcohol, no drugs, even if they feel they need it? Yeah, for sure not. It's real. It's like, yeah, for sure not. There's a vetting process that goes, goes on before the guys come in. It's, a pretty, it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to get a bed if you meet certain requirements. Number one, you must want to come. Not because your parents, not because you have been recently arrested and are trying to beat the court system. You must want to come to our facility. I'll, we'll talk on the phone and, you know, hey, how you doing? You want to quit drinking? You want to quit using drugs? 
our program is eight months. Are you willing to commit to this eight months? You're not going to have a phone for the first two, three months. You're not going to have cash for the first two, three months. You are not going anywhere um, unless you're accompanied by staff. You cannot leave for a Shabbos. You cannot do what you want. You will follow our rules. We don't do punitive punishment. It's very simple. Here are the rules. And, and if you break them, you can go ahead and pack your things and leave. We're an adult treatment center. We are not playing cops and robbers. This place ain't for children. You're going to do what you got to do so that we can spend the rest of our free time having fun instead of dealing with punitive consequences and house meetings and following rules. We're going to skip all that. Instead, we're going to go shoot pool. We're going to skip all that. And we're going to go bowling. We're going to go out for night and have some pizza. We're going to watch some movies. We're not going to waste our time with people that need to be disciplined. So grow up yesterday or you will be homeless. Can you, can you buy into that? They go, they go, yeah, I'm willing to do what it takes. I will follow the rules. Um, uh, you know, I really need help. I need you to help save my life. If I don't get help, I'm going to die this way. Say, all right, kid, either A, go to detox, or B, come to, come to our house and take a drug test. Uh, if you have no drugs in your system, you can come through the door. If not, we'll get you into a detox, and then we will pick you up from that detox and we'll bring you straight here and we'll get to work. And they're expected to get on board real quick. And, and they're surrounded by guys that all want to be here that are very serious and that are very alive and very happy and are making the best out of their situation. We do not, we're not tolerating negativity. We're not tolerating rule, rule breaking. You can, you, can pretty, you can pretty quickly see whether someone is legit. If they're if they're being truthful and 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 that's and that's what it is they must want to come thank you eric we are going to take a short break and listen to another one of ellie levin's songs i am about to play you yehi ratzon which ellie levin wrote right before corona at the time where anti-semitism was at its peak in the world and it felt as if everything was reverting back to the time of the holocaust ellie levin wrote the song saying hashem we can't do this again he said it feels like the anti-semitism of his grandparents' time, chas v'shalom. So he wrote this song saying, Hashem, please save us from this storm. Here is Yehi Ratzon by Ellie Levin on jtriberadio.com. <laughs> Our grandparents told us 
was L. Levin's song, Yehi Ratzon. And we're back with some more Eric Levitz. Something that happens, and I get a lot of calls from family members, and they're saying, oh, my son, he really needs help. We don't know what to do. And I'm like, I tell them the one thing that a lot of places won't. I go, if he doesn't want to get better, it's not going to work. But, but can you take him? Do you think we're willing to pay? Maybe I go, no, there's no amount of money that you're going to be able to pay to make him want to get better. I'm, it's heartbreaking. What you need to do is stop paying for his drugs. You might have to give him an alternative. Like you need to either go get help or leave our home. So, you know, I, I have a friend that a little bit disagrees with that and I respect him. He's one of my mentors, but he, he, he says, shower them with love. And, and my response is, yeah, but if they're, if they're committing felonies in your house, you, you, can't, you can't harbor someone who's breaking, breaking the law. Whatever, that's a separate conversation. I, the bottom line is they've got to want to come. That's a very true statement. If you don't want to change, if you don't want to get better, nobody can make you get better. It has to be from you. Now, last question before we go. I know that you use the 12-step program. What is the process of of the 12-step program, and how does it really build a successful character trait? So our facility is predominantly based based on the 12 steps, the principles of the 12 steps. All of the guys come into our facility, and they work the 12 steps in the first two to three months that they're there. That's why... That's why that segment is, that's why they don't have the phone and don't have the cash and not going anywhere. That's their one job to get a sponsor, to work the steps, to get involved in the meetings that we go to every day and, and apply these things to their life and pick up that spiritual set of tools that is neatly laid at their feet. So why, is, why are the 12 steps successful? How do they build the character? Um, I can break down the 12 steps into three segments. The first one, the first idea is that you don't have control. You never did. And, and you've got to stop playing God. You've got to stop running the show. And you have to understand that. 
you, you have to get out of the way and basically turn over, turn over those keys. The second thing is you need to basically inventory yourself and examine, examine in, in all the different ways that you've hurt people, that you've let fear run your life, that you have resented people, the way that you've placed the blame on the world when, when in, in reality, 95% of it, you set the ball rolling. So taking accountability and, and ownership over the changes that you must make in yourself. And you must not only make those changes within yourself, you need to go and fix the things you broke because that's what normal people do. If you break something, you fix it. If you spill something, you clean it up. And then the last piece, so stopping to run the show, fixing the things you break and understanding how you broke them and fixing and, and looking into those, looking into yourself and, and figuring out what those things are. That's where a huge part of the character building happens is me looking at my resentments, fears, and my conduct and looking at all the different places within myself that are responsible my out-of-line instincts and my uh, grosser handicaps like selfishness, dishonesty, anger, fear, resentment. And the last piece is, is being of service. I've spent my whole life focusing on me, you know, in self-pity and, and worrying about how to get drugs and running around hurting people and so on and so forth. I've spent my whole, basically, I've taken up all the time that I need thinking about myself. I need to get out there and I need to be of service. I need to think of others. I must act the good Samaritan on a daily basis. I have to, you know, through a combination of gratitude and service, basically pay it forward. So I'm going to summarize it. Trust God clean house, help others. I don't, a lot of people claim that the 12-step fellowships are a cult, but trust God, clean house, help others. It sounds like that's kind of what it takes to be part of society. This is a normal thing. It doesn't matter what religion you're part of. If your religion doesn't include trust God, clean house, and help others, then maybe switch religions. If you're part of a community that isn't, saying, you know, trust God, clean house, help others, I would change communities. And when I say trust God, you know, I have to say that loosely because some people are either atheists or don't believe in God. Really what, what that, that statement, what, what the way, another way that statement can be, can, can be made is the world doesn't revolve around you. Clean house, help others. By hearing you talk, all I can feel is just that everybody, no matter if you're an alcoholic or if you're going to rehab for drugs or if you have any issue, even if you are not in any, any rehab, everybody should be learning the 12-step program. I think it makes people into a better human being. Just from hearing, I haven't even gone into detail with you about what the 12-step program is. We just went over basically, you know, summarized what it does. But it sounds to me that every person should be learning it and living can I that. that? Yeah. For sure. I think most good, healthy, normal people are working the 12 steps. Where do you think we got it from? <laughs> you know, that it, I think that the 12 steps are an adult version of what we're supposed to learn in kindergarten. Hang your coat on the rack. Share your toys. Don't hit. Take a nap if you're a little bit tired or cranky. Um, uh, raise your hand when sharing, be nice to people, learn to play with each other. You know, don't be selfish, Sh share your snack, offer your snack. Maybe that kid doesn't have a snack. Yeah. Uh, it's about, it's just about like being a healthy, not self-centered part of a community. We, we alcoholics and drug addicts have things blocking us off from that. And usually it centers around resentment, fear, and uh, resentment, fear, anger, and the things that we have done in the past that have hurt people that, that we don't want to look at or acknowledge and, 
and, and we walk and we walk around with this burden which demands that we drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, listening to you say about the kindergarten and use that metaphor, now yeah, it makes sense what you're saying. That's what you're basically teaching them. Any last words you'd like to say before we go? Any advice to anybody who is struggling? First off, thank you again for taking the time to do this interview. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm just I'm very grateful that that you that you asked in the first place. I'm very happy for people to know about the AZ House and, and know that we are here for them. And to anyone who's struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, it's what I have to say to you is you don't have to live like that anymore. There is a solution. And if you need any help from us, please give us a call. Well, thank you so much. That was Eric, founder of the AZ House. I am going to put all the links in the description below. Well, go check out the AZ House on Facebook, Instagram, and the website is going to be in the link in the description below. Again, thank you so much for being here. Before we go, I would like to play another song that Ellie Levin did a cover for. Here is Nishama on jtriberadio.com.
That was L11 singing the song Nishama right here on Hebrew Hits. You're listening to the voice of J Tribe Radio. My name is Malia, and thank you so much for being here on the 26th episode of Hebrew Hits. I interviewed Eric Levitz on drug and alcohol addiction, and I spotlighted L11's music on this episode where I played four of his songs. Thank you so much for being here. You can listen to Hebrew Hits on all your favorite streaming apps. And please remember to follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. Download the episode if you can and leave a good rating. Thank you so much and have a wonderful night. <laughs>